Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. Here we go! Email us at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. Here we go! It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Let's go! Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. Welcome to the first ever Monday afternoon evening podcast in Fantasy Football Today history. Unbelievable. What's going on? And we could not have a better guest than Will Brinson of the Pick 6 Podcast and other CBS Sports properties. What's up, Will? How you doing? What's going on, Adam? I like how uh, I like how our bosses, after a decade plus of sort of treating us like, I don't want to say second-class citizens, like yeah, maybe one-and-a-half-class citizens, are all in on podcasting. We're doing seven shows a week at the Pick 6 Podcast. We have two Monday shows and two Thursday shows. So if people like the uh, the daily content, go over there and check it out on uh, Apple Podcasts. Absolutely, yes. And if you want all of our shows, you go to cbssports.com slash podcasts. We have college football. We have MMA and wrestling and boxing all in one. We've got Canell and Bell kind of talking general sports, you know, in the mornings. It's great. So uh, check it out, cbssports.com slash podcasts. Okay, let's get started, Will. Uh, After Will comes on, we're going to have Dr. David Chow at ProFootballDoc on Twitter. He will give us some injury info. And he's, you know, about as good as it gets in terms of that. But, Will, what was your biggest week one takeaway? My biggest week one takeaway, Adam, and I'm sure that this is probably crossing over something we'll talk about later. Um, but I think that Dak Prescott in this Kellen Moore offense is going to be is going to flirt with being a top five fantasy quarterback over the course of the 2019 NFL season. You were just on another podcast, right? I was. Whose podcast? Bill Barnwell's. From ESPN. Yes, we did not talk about fantasy. But I did read his column about five surprising quarterbacks. You read that, right? But the the quarterback performances? Uh Uh-huh. And the first one he talked about was Dak. And he said that, you know, the thought of Kellen Moore and all this pre-snap motion stuff, it didn't really come into play that much with Dak's production. It was mostly just the Giants were awful and Dak was on the money with with his throws. This is just a long con to tell you the Giants are awful. But, they are. Uh, they are. <laughs> they have the worst. Pa- I mean, they have the worst pass rush, and, and they didn't get to him at all. No, no, they're very bad. I do think though that here's here's the difference. I think that with Dak, first of all, Dak's playing for a new contract. We'll see if he signs the deal that Jerry Jones wants to give him. I don't think he should. Uh, I think he should wait till after the season and rack up as much as he can. But um, with 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 Dak's situation, Kellen Moore is letting him throw deeper. Our colleague Jared Dubin noted this um, over the course of Scott Linehan's tenure. He threw deep nine point like three percent of the time, threw deep eighteen percent of the time uh, yesterday against the Giants. And so I think you're going to see a guy who will, is more willing to stretch the field. I think when you look at the weapons that they have, uh, this is a team that can be really explosive. Um, you know, Randall Cobb looked like like old school Randall Cobb. Michael Gallup looks like an absolute second-year breakout wide receiver. He, he, he was physical at the point of a point of the catch and physical afterwards. They had guys running wide open. I know that's the Giants. I, I, I get it. But they do have an offense. And, of course, Mari Cooper there has looked very sharp as well. Um, but they do have an offense in, in terms of what it's constructed with Zeke Elliott that I think they're going to try to pass and then lean on the run to win. And they're going to – if they let Kellen Moore do his thing – then I think Dak will flirt with being a top five fantasy quarterback. And I think Lamar Jackson might join him. Ah, uh-huh. okay. There you go. Zach Prescott at Washington next week, Miami at home. So first three games, three and zero for the Cowboys. And they honestly might outscore their opponents by 
70 or more points. I mean, <laughs> for sure. I mean, like it's, it's going to crush everyone. Yeah. They're yeah. going to smash people. And I mean, like this is, by the way, the, I want to, and I, I think I'm supposed to rant on stupid things I did. Can I tell you the stupidest thing I did? That was yeah. That was going to be one of my questions. The worst roster decision you made. Well, no. This is this is like a bigger, more collective point. So this is my main league that I've been in for like 20 years with all my friends from college. Um, I get crap because I haven't won it in in like it's been five or six years since I won it. You know, I write about football professionally. I should win it. Um, and uh, in our draft at Pinehurst Live all together, I didn't take Marlon Mack and I took George Kittle in the third round instead, even though I was all in on Mack. And then I came back in the fifth round. I took Aaron Rodgers, and I don't think it's a bad value to take Aaron Rodgers in the fifth round. Cause he could be QB one, but this is why you don't take quarterbacks early. I mean, I could have had Dak Lamar, I mean, yeah. any number of quarterbacks. You're overreacting late. a little bit. No, you, no, you I are trade. overreacting. You're talking about Rodgers went up against the the hardest matchup in football, and Dak and Lamar Jackson at the end of the day may have gone up against the two easiest matchups in football. I would trade Aaron Rodgers. I would probably trade him straight up for Lamar Jackson right now. No. Oh my God. <laughs> I know they said that you're supposed to come out here and be kind of crazy, but you. Can't I'm not be being crazy. I would. I think I like. I I would like something in return. I would want like a a running back or a wide receiver in return, I would do that in a heartbeat. Like, okay, what running back? Would you trade Aaron Rodgers for Lamar Jackson and Matt Breida now that Tevin Coleman's going to miss some time? Yeah, as as our old friend uh, Mr. Costas points out, Matt Breida is like the living example of the uh, the 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 knight from uh, Monty Python. He's just like, it's, like <laughs> it's just a shoulder, it's just a flesh wound. He's like, like going back out with this like knee dangling out, like a bone sticking out. He's like, I got this, coach. I got this, Kyle. Um, yeah, yeah, I would do that. I would do that in a heartbeat. If you give me Ooh, any viable wow. starting flex option, I will give you Aaron Rodgers, and you just give me Lamar Jackson that flex option back. Okay, I think I'm gonna have to disagree. I think I'm gonna have to disagree. It's fine. Just, I, 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 I'm, I'm petrified to offer it, but look, Aaron Rodgers yeah, has tough be. games. Uh, yeah, he does have a tough schedule. Um, who's your week, biggest week one disappointment? Oh God, let's just look at this team and see how this team scored. Because I'll tell you, it's, I'm sure it's on this squad. Um, I would say that my biggest week one disappointment. Oh, uh, it's at uh, the aforementioned George Kittle. 5.4 points. He had 54 receiving yards, two touchdowns negated by penalty. Yeah. Two of them. Yeah. Um, I, I think you could also throw in, uh, if you wanted to for injury purposes, no, actually any Ben Roethlisberger, Juju Smith, yeah, Schuster, James Connor, all three of those guys would qualify. I was giggling with my buddy, Nathan. We own a team together. Uh, I was like, well, time to sit back, kick up our feet, and enjoy this Ben Juju stack we're going to enjoy all year. And then it's like, oh, God, this is a problem. I, I do think— Well, Juju had six catches for 78 yards, being yeah, shadowed one. by a very good cornerback uh, in Gilmore. So, I, I, you know, I'm willing to forgive— Like, that's not that bad of a game. It's basically the same game that Beckham had. One, yeah, Beckham could qualify. Julio Jones can qualify. I Julio think Jones caught a touchdown. These guys are not— the biggest disappointments. There are bigger disappointments. Like James Connor's a good answer. He he. Well, but he had four catches for forty-four yards. Uh, there are be- like Joe Mixon, even though he got hurt before the injury was terrible. You're being Austin, a little hard. Austin Eckler. Does he? Um, Austin Eckler was incredible. He's joking. I'm joking. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, did you watch football yesterday? Um, I, I I would say that uh, my point about the Julio and um and Odell. And uh, who else did I mention? Uh, Juju. Juju. And then I can throw Devontae Adams in there. If I'm, I don't own a single share of him, but if I owned uh, Antonio Brown, 
I am going to the owner of all four of those wide receivers, and I am offering Antonio Brown straight up for Julio, Odell, Devontae Adams, and Juju Smith-Schuster. And I, I told people on the Pick 6 podcast to do this. I've had a couple of listeners DM me and say, hey, look, I just flipped uh, Antonio for Devontae. Oh, go, go try yeah. yeah, but like, but like, I think it'll work fifty percent of the time because people think people think Antonio Brown is gonna be Randy Moss in two thousand seven. I just don't think the target share is gonna be there because of how the Patriots run the ball. And I think Devontae Adams, Julio, Odell, and Juju are uh, the perfect buy lows in this particular situation. I got three more questions for you. Here we go, rapid fire. Why don't coaches let rookie running backs do their thing? Because coaches are coaches and they're annoying. David David Montgomery, run the guy. Miles Sanders, run the guy. They're both better than the other guys on the roster. Just play them. They're they're good by lows too, by the way. Yeah, Sanders didn't really do that well, but it, it really it was Devin Singletary that was the one that yeah. drove me the craziest. Yeah, so, uh, but he's he's Sanders, come alive. Sanders had a touchdown called back on a penalty too. He did. Yeah. Um, and I think his game would look a lot different there. I, they're not. Jordan Howard got most of the carries after they got after they took a double digit lead against the Redskins. So I would I would say buy low on Miles Sanders, buy low on Devin Singletary, buy low on uh, De- uh, David Montgomery. I think all pick up workload steam as we go along in the season. Why was Cam Newton so bad? Um. I don't think he had a lot of time to get no preseason action. He didn't have any time to get the rapport down with his receivers. Uh, DJ, the Panthers should have won that game. They they really should have won the game. DJ Moore had two terrible fumbles. That was um, a that was a misleading game. I, it, there were a lot of points scored in that game, and the offenses weren't very good. Didn't yeah, come I, I would I will tell you this: if you want to, if I don't know if the fantasy pot football today people gamble. Oh, but, none of uh, us. Ton of do you, I don't. Yeah, no, I, would, I said none, but I was joking. Uh, like Austin right. Eckler's bad game. <laughs> okay, sorry. We'll get our sarcasm down by week two. Adam. <laughs> um, I would uh, I would take the Panthers minus six and a half on Thursday against the Buccaneers. Tampa stinks. Jameis is bad, and Carolina's going to stomp oh, them. Last question: Why is everybody freaking out about Jameis Winston? Because he's he's not good. Yeah, he's You're, not good. But he but he he's the same quarterback he's been. He's a not good quarterback who happened ha- happened to have a, a an even worse game, but like. He, you know, on a per game basis, he was like about QB 12 last year. So if you only look at his starts, here's the, here's the problem. A Bruce Arians quarterback needs to be able to handle pressure and be protected. And he needs to be accurate down the field. Jameis can throw the ball down the field. He's not accurate down the field and he's going to, he misses, he misses guys left and right. He, his no risk it, no biscuit involves not seeing linebackers who are near the line of scrimmage. Uh, instead of just chunking it down and, and trying to be throw dimes to a receiver who's who's battling in single coverage, I, I think that we think he might be a good fit for Bruce Arians, but he's really not a good fit for Bruce Arians. Uh, I would much rather, over the course of the rest of the season, have uh, Lamar Jackson or Dak Prescott than Jameis Winston. And that's totally fair. I, I wasn't fully buying the Jameis Winston breakout because people act like Dirk Cutter was Jeff Fisher, but yeah. <laughs> he was in a good system before. And the schedule is just not that good. You know, it's other than the Giants in week three before his bye, which is in like week eight or nine. He's got Carolina twice at the Rams at the Saints. And then it comes after the bye at Tennessee, at Seattle, Arizona, New Orleans, at Atlanta, at Jacksonville, Indianapolis, at Detroit, Houston. It's just it's a it's a below average schedule for Jameis. And he's a below average quarterback. But it was week one in a new system. Maybe we should give him a little bit of slack. People are freaking out. Like this is this is Jameis. He's not that good of a quarterback, but he could still be a good fantasy quarterback. He'll Maybe. throw a lot. All right. Maybe. I, I would I mean, I just think there's when you look at like guys who are available, I mean, 
uh, obviously, you know, like I would rather have Kyler Murray moving forward. I'd rather have um, Dak. I think I, I don't know about Jimmy Garoppolo. Obviously, I th- I'd probably rather have Mitchell Trubisky, even though he looked bad. I think the volume will be there for him. I don't um, think the volume will be there for him. They're a running team. Was uh, let's see, I'm looking at why, why does our why Stafford? Does our, would you rather have Matthew Stafford than Jameis? Mm. I wouldn't. I still think Jameis. Like, I don't love Jameis, but I still think he has that upside. I'll tell you who the sneaky guy that you the two sneaky guys that might be worth adding if you're a Jameis owner and you're paranoid about your backup. Uh, Andy Dalton, who looked awesome against a pretty good Seattle defense in Zach Taylor's system. John, he unlocked big boss John Ross somehow. I could uh, buy it if, if AJ Green were there, but he's gonna be back eventually. And then yeah. um, Marcus Mariota. Oh no, he sucks. He was he's better than Baker Mayfield yesterday. Yeah, but he's not better than Baker Mayfield, and he's not he's not a better fantasy quarterback than Jameis. I I cannot buy the Titans. No, offense. I'm saying grab them as a backup. So Tennessee, uh, they get Indianapolis in week two, and who was the oh, other actually, guy? You actually, said? the other guy, the, the other guy to get Jacoby Brissett. He looked awesome. Yeah, that's a fun one. All right, um, Will, thanks for coming on, man. Good good first that's, show. That's a short podcast. I like it. Thanks, Adam. That's all it is, man. Check out the Pick Six podcast. Um, and Will Brinson. And by the way, let me give a shout out to a new, a newish podcast app, the Bullhorn Podcast app. Thank you to them. We are the podcast of the week on the Bullhorn app. And unofficially, I heard Pick Six was actually number two. But FFT, <laughs> are you messing? I don't know if you're Congratulations, first. Thank, of all. thank you. Thank you. I, I, I messing with you. Uh, but, okay. By the way, you're top ten, and you guys are top ten. You've been running hot in top ten in the uh, in the sports category. So congratulations to that. Well, that's actually a thank you to the listeners. That's what it is. Thank you to the listeners for giving us the reviews and all that. So, all right, Will, we'll talk to you next Monday. Thanks, man. All right, buddy. And for the first time on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, we're getting some real awesome injury insight and analysis. It's from Dr. David Chow, an injury analyst for ProFootballDoc.com. He's well known for his quick diagnosis and assessment of injuries on Twitter, at ProFootballDoc. And Dr. Chow was the San Diego Chargers team doctor for 17 years. So thank you for coming on. We're so excited to have you. Welcome to Fantasy Football Today. Thanks a lot for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, we spoke last week, and you just have a wealth of knowledge. So um, can you explain to us <laughs> – we spoke personally is what I meant. Uh, can you explain to us what's going on with Tyreek Hill and how long you think he might miss? Well, I always say things make sense in the end, and if they don't make sense, it's because we on the outside don't know the details. So when the, it was first reported that he injured his shoulder and was taken to the hospital – I was tweeting out, that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I'm not saying they were wrong. I said, it just doesn't make sense. You rarely send anyone to the hospital, and in my almost two decades, never for a shoulder. As it turns out, he fell on his shoulder but injured his SC joint, which is the other end of the collarbone, the clavicle, away from the shoulder near the sternum or your breastplate. And that joint, SC joint, was dislocated where the end of the clavicle was then shoved in back of the sternum putting at risk the great vessels and other structures in what we call the mediastinum or behind the mid chest. And that can be an emergency, which is why he was sent to the hospital as a precaution. And he had a reduction procedure, not technically surgery because no one cut on him, but basically someone pulled on him to pull the clavicle back into place and was kept overnight there. And in theory is going back home to Kansas city sometime today. When you read that, were you impressed? Like, what was your reaction? Did you say, oh, wow, that's a great job by the medical staff? Or is that something fairly routine that you're not surprised they got right? 
Well, um, a little bit of both. It's not exactly a common injury. Um, there was, uh, it was early 2012, maybe when Danny Amendola was still with the, uh, St. Louis, then St. Louis Rams, those doctors did a case report about this injury. And in their case report, they didn't recognize it until the next day. So it's not always something that you pick up and it's not a criticism. It's just an observation. But uh, so it's not always recognizable. And I do think they did a good job to make sure that uh, they took good care of them, et cetera, because it is an unusual injury. It, it doesn't happen every week or every month, even across the NFL. Do you have any idea what kind of timeline we're looking at for Tyreek Hill? What we've seen so far is he could miss several weeks. Well, here's what I said yesterday uh, when it happened. And, and it was really... Um, Whenever you have this with the dislocation, it makes it dicier because you can't risk those vessels behind the chest there. And so I said, there is no way in the world that he will play in September. He would be pretty darn lucky to play any time in October. And let me tell you, injured reserve, missing eight weeks, and then coming back off injured reserve is on the table. And uh, this morning, Ian Rappaport kind of uh, echoed that, saying they haven't made a decision on IR yet, but it's a possibility. And that's kind of where we're at. So certainly not for four weeks, if lucky, maybe in six, uh, and hopefully not eight, but that's kind of where we're at. We have followed the offseason saga of Todd Gurley, who dominated snaps yesterday but did not score. Instead, Malcolm Brown got two touchdowns. Gurley averaged more than seven yards per carry. Did you see anything in him uh, that would lead you to believe anything at all about his health? Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, uh, it was like I've been thinking. You have to remember, even back to the Super Bowl, when there was all this talk and he played a very limited amount at the game, a stat tracker, whatever the stat is, he was the fastest man on the field that day in terms of miles per hour. And I've been saying all off season, Todd Gurley will be the same Todd Gurley, the same effectiveness. Obviously he had 14 carries, 97 yards, 6.9 yard average, no touchdowns. Otherwise everyone be hailing it as a, as a great day. So he's the same guy with the same effectiveness but he will not have the same usage. Uh, He had 14 carries and Malcolm Brown had 11 and Malcolm Brown ended up with the two touchdowns. This is about where I see him going forward. The Rams want him there and are smart to want him there in the key moments. But from a fantasy perspective, he's no longer a bell cow running back. He's still a very effective one, just not a bell cow anymore. Well, a couple of uh, running backs nursing ankle injuries right now are Joe Mixon and Tevin Coleman. We'll get to Coleman in a bit, but I actually want to mix. Uh, I want to combine Mixon and Mike Williams. Mixon has an ankle injury. Mike Williams has a knee injury. There's some optimism for both of them that they'll be able to play in week two. What can you tell us about Mixon and Mike Williams? Well, you know, of course, I'm going off a of video, and by video, he got Mixon got his left foot trapped in in standard inversion low ankle sprain, which does give him a chance to play next week. Not a guarantee, but certainly gives him a reasonable chance. Williams, I looked at his injury, I didn't see a whole lot, which hopefully is good news. Means that there's not a whole lot there. I'm not saying he was feigning injury. I'm just saying that I didn't see anything significant that would alert me or alarm me. So hopefully, he will be back as well. 
Yeah, I hope so. Uh, and he's optimistic. I think he said he plans on playing in week two. Tevin Coleman, a little bit more of a long-term injury, and Darius Geis as well. So, man, it was a rough week one for running backs. But Coleman and Geis, are they going to miss significant time? Coleman with an ankle, Geis with a knee. Well, Coleman has been said to, in that he's going to miss some time. Uh, some, is it significant? Is some as in one or two or some as in four or six? Don't know yet. So far, unless your listeners can help me out, I haven't found a particular video that points out where Tevin Coleman's injury was. So it's a little bit of an, a mystery to me. I don't want to like come up with stuff out of thin air. I try and base it off of, off of uh, medical knowledge, uh, et cetera. As far as uh, Darius Geis, I've been saying all along, I don't know that he looked 100% on his left ACL knee yet, and, and that would fit with the timeline of recoveries from ACLs, especially one that got infected and had multiple uh, subsequent surgeries. And I don't know if now with his new injury to his right knee, it was something from compensation or favoring it or not, but now with a left knee that's not 100% and now something with a right knee, I mean, you might be able to get by with one knee less than 100%, but as a running back in the NFL with both knees at less than 100%, I think he's going to miss a little bit of time here. The MRI is pending on the right side, but, you know, Adrian Peterson is no longer going to be healthy and active anymore. Sure. And, guys, maybe he looked at the schedule and he said, oh, Dallas and Chicago? Uh, yeah, I, I think maybe I'll take the next couple weeks off. And I don't know how long it's going to be, but Peterson certainly is in play. Uh, but when you talk about watching film and seeing that guys maybe didn't look healthy coming off that left ACL surgery. What is it that you saw that led you to think that? Well, first of all, it's just opinion is looking at video is no different than a scout or a GM saying, this is a, my number one pick in the draft versus this is a guy that I don't like. Right. I mean, right. so there's some opinion in there. Let's not get too overboard <laughs> with, with opinion, but medically we know that, um, uh, in the Adrian Peterson ACL recovery, getting gaining 2,000 yards in the next season is the abnormal, not the normal. Uh, and usually, let's look at Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook, I said at the beginning of last year, would not necessarily have a banner year, and he didn't. And he ended up with a, a compensation hamstring injury. He was down. But all offseason here, I've been saying he's my sleeper pick, as we discussed in a couple of weeks. So he's my sleeper pick to uh, to light it up this year. And uh, obviously, uh, he did pretty well in week one. That's just one week, obviously. But, you know, Darius Geis in the third preseason game played a whole half, and he had 11 carries and four, for 44 yards, four-yard carry average. And he had some good runs, but there were spots where I felt like he didn't look explosive, and he didn't want to stick his left foot into the ground. To, and on one carry in particular, I believe it was the third, if not fourth carry, he bounced out to the left and his outer leg where he would need to plant to really definitively cut it up field. That was his injury side. He didn't really do that. And so that led me to believe that he's not 100%. That doesn't mean that he couldn't play. Obviously, the Redskins felt he could play. And uh, who knows why he didn't perform well. Maybe it was the other knee. But to me, it was clear he wasn't 100%. Yeah, that's really interesting because you see things that obviously we would never see, so I love that insight. All right, Doc, I got a couple more guys for you. They're both quarterbacks. They hopefully have minor injuries. I mean, Mahomes hurt his ankle, and then he came back in, and he obviously was amazing against Jacksonville. And Baker Mayfield had tests done on his wrist. 
and uh, I, I haven't seen anything bad. I think the results were encouraging. But what do you know about Mahomes and Mayfield right now? I think you got to watch out on both of these guys here. I'm not saying doom or gloom. I think you need to watch out. Maybe more so on Mahomes. Mahomes, by video, had a high ankle-type sprain. It wasn't necessarily severe. It wasn't A.J. Green-like, but it's in the same family of injury, a high ankle sprain on the left. He had it taped, and he finished the game. To me, it looked like he got stiffer as the game goes went on, and uh, he still got it done because he's just a supreme talent. He wasn't stepping into throws, but he has the arm strength to follow through. Maybe being hypercritical, one or two throws were a little high because he didn't follow through, but he has the ability to keep playing, and I think he will. But don't be surprised if he misses some practice time. Don't be surprised if he's not his mobile self for the next few weeks. This is a high ankle sprain variant, so to slough it off as just an ankle sprain, the way Andy Reid portrayed it, I don't think is exactly correct. So it's just something to watch. And as for Baker Mayfield, the, there was talk about a, a contusion of his wrist, et cetera. It's just a bruise, so to speak. But the wrap that he had leaving included his thumb, and that's what has me worried. I, I, the play that he heard it on apparently was the uh, – uh, safety, but I couldn't see much on video once again, because, uh, it was sort of a pile of bodies. But from my perspective, whenever the thumb is involved in a wrap, especially for the, th- on the throwing hand of a quarterback, I'm concerned because obviously that affects grip, your ability to spin the ball, which translates to accuracy. I am not blaming the thumb for the three interceptions in the fourth quarter, but certainly three interceptions in one quarter, uh, down the road after this, thumb slash wrist injury raises some questions. So we'll just have to keep an eye on that. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to blame the thumb on the three interceptions. Uh, it would be a nice, convenient excuse. Uh, final question. You, you mentioned Mahomes' ankle, and if it is a high ankle sprain and he might have some trouble for the next few weeks being mobile, is that something that he can play through and it will still heal and eventually you know, he'll, he'll get that mobility back? Or does he need to rest to, to really heal it? Well, you know, if he plays through, he runs the risk of tweaking it, making it worse, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm sure the Chiefs will make the right decision for him. And uh, knowing Mahomes, look, uh, yesterday he had enough of a high ankle sprain to warrant sitting out. You saw him looping around there. But that kid just isn't going to do it. And uh, the coaching staff and the team, I think, were smart. They gave him some good protection. And uh, he became a really effective pocket quarterback as opposed to his usual dynamic self running around out there. So I think he can continue to play, but he's going to have to change his game a little bit to, to suit, you know, the limitations of his ankle and to not make it worse. But, uh, you know, this isn't going to be season long. It's mm-hmm. probably going to affect him the rest of this month, but, uh, come October, barring uh, any setback, hopefully it'll be behind him. That's Dr. David Chow. Follow him on Twitter at pro football doc. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for the time. All right, let's get nerdy on fantasy football today. Let's talk about snap counts and routes run. And I'm not even, they're not like advanced stats. They're just stats. Let's get statistical. With Chris Towers, you need some statistical music. What would statistical music I've got sound it. like? I know what it's going to sound like. I just need you to talk while I get my iPad out and find the song. Um, I'm hoping it's like. I was thinking just like the sound of a calculator, maybe things being typed <laughs> into that. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where you're going. She blinded me with science, maybe. Oh, that's not a bad idea. Uh, so <laughs> while I look this up, although you may have just topped me with she blinded me with science, uh, what was the most interesting statistic 
you came across this week, this weekend? The most interesting statistic that I came across this week, it might have been Devin Singletary's usage. I'm not sure exactly how it happened because I didn't get to see every single snap of this game, but he played, I believe, 48 snaps for the Buffalo Bills. He had four carries and six targets. He ran 36 routes. He was on the field all of the time for them. He was on the field early. He was on the field late. He didn't get a carry, I believe, until the second half of that game, but when he did, he really helped them move the ball. And I just think it's a great, great sign that he was on a route 82% of the time on Josh Allen's dropbacks, including four routes out of the slot and eight split out wide. That's a really good sign. They trusted him immediately. Yeah, well, they didn't trust him until the second half, basically, at least on the ground. Yeah, Yeah. but yeah, that was one of my biggest takeaways is that he changed the game. So uh, we talked about it with Will earlier in this show. We talked about it yesterday. Arrow pointing up for Devin Singletary for sure. Just uh, getting my internet connection flowing here on the iPad. All right, let's go through some snap counts for some backfields. And just talked about Todd Gurley with uh, Dr. Chow. Todd Gurley, 70% of the snaps. Malcolm Brown, 27%. Daryl Henderson, 2%. That's pretty good. You know, if he had just gotten the goal line work, I'd feel perfectly fine about Todd Gurley. Yeah, basically, Malcolm Brown played three drives in this game. He got the the one early touchdown where he had, I think it was Cam Newton was was uh, sacked. He fumbled, and the Rams got the ball on the 10. He got two carries and scored the touchdown. He had another drive where he got all the touches and scored, and then he had another drive where I think he got three carries at the beginning of the drive and then didn't touch the ball again. That was basically all Malcolm Brown did. So the question is, did they bring him in inside of the 10 when they got the ball there because they don't want Gurley to be working inside of the 10? Because later on in the game, when Gurley looked awesome, they took him out again late in the drive, and it was Daryl Henderson. The only time he got on the field was one carry inside of the 10, and then I think uh, the Gerald Everett touchdown was Daryl Henderson was on the field for Todd Gurley did get one carry in the red zone. It was from the 11-yard line, and it was called back for an offensive holding. But he got 70% of the snaps. And the routes. uh, The routes run. 29 routes. Yeah, right. I think he was the only – he might not have been the only Rams running back to run a route, but it was something like close to 90% of uh, Jared Goff's dropbacks Todd Gurley was out there for. Yeah, that's good stuff. I mean, it's encouraging for Gurley. Just get him some damn touchdowns. Here's your music. Let's see if we can get it. Let's talk stats. Let's get let's get data here. Uh, Friends of the Nerds song. Yes. Okay. How did you know that? Good for you. It was Yes. You know, Poindexter on the violin there went on to uh, be the home run hitter, the best player on the team in Little Big League. Okay, let's move on. Other backfields where uh, you thought the snap count was uh, particularly relevant. How about the Chiefs with uh, Damian Williams getting 66% of the snaps and McCoy 29% Darwin Thompson barely playing, but McCoy was a lot better on the ground. So what do you make of that? Yeah, it was interesting. And this is one of those games where it might be hard to say exactly 
uh, how much that split matters because LaShawn McCoy had been on the team for six days, seven days. Uh, But Damian Williams did get 66% of the snaps to 29% for LaShawn McCoy. And Damian Williams also dominated the passing downs. I think LaShawn McCoy ran like eight routes. So for the most part, in the passing game, it was Damian Williams. So if you're telling me Damian Williams is going to get something close to two-thirds of the snaps in the best offense in the NFL and get most of the passing downs work, and I think he got most of the goal line work, uh, he scored that short touchdown, and I think he had a carry inside the five on that drive as well. That sounds like someone who could be a borderline number one running back to me. It's yeah, just a so, question of what LaShawn McCoy's role will be as he gets mm-hmm. more comfortable. Yeah, and you're singing a different tune than what the guys were saying yesterday on the show. I'm, I'm not sure if all three of them were feeling that way, but I sort of felt like they swung a little bit too far in, in LaShawn McCoy's favor and were downgrading Damian Williams a little bit too much, especially since he had six catches, and that role in this offense is just so important. When you look at Seattle and you look at uh, the Chargers, both Chris Carson and Austin Eckler had about 75% of the work. The Falcons, or the snaps, the snaps. The Falcons, Devontae Freeman 50% and Edo Smith 50%, but you know Freeman dominated the carries early in the game, and then he this fumbled. A, yeah, this was such a weird game, too, just from both sides. I, I, I'm not sure how much we can even take away from the Falcons or the Vikings in this one. Uh, yeah, they split the work. Edo Smith got a lot late, but... I don't know, man. That that seemed like just a weird game. They were down 28 nothing. Uh, I think entering the fourth quarter, they scored two late touchdowns. I'm not 100% sure that we, that we can take anything away, except that Ito Smith clearly does have a role. There was some concern after maybe the first preseason game or the second preseason game that you know maybe Brian Hill was coming to take that backup job. It's Ito Smith's, and we know this is a team that's going to use two running backs. I don't think it'll be 50-50 moving forward, but... You know, if it's 65-35, there could be enough there for Ito to be a a flex play. What I didn't realize as the game was unfolding was that Freeman fumbled and then Smith got a lot of work. But I I try to go back and look. I mean, I want to say something like the first six or seven carries went to Devontae Freeman over several possessions. And I was surprised by that. But something to kind of keep an eye on here. And then before we go to just some other notes about routes run and, and things of that nature, was there any other backfield where you looked at the snaps played and said, whoa, What's that all about? The Patriots. I don't know if you guys got to this on Sunday night's no. podcast, but Sony Michelle was technically fourth amongst uh, backs because James Devlin did play 46%, but it was 47% for James White. That's not surprising. Rex Burkhead got 46%, and he was in the game early. It wasn't just like he got in the game because it was a blowout. Uh, Sony Michelle ended up playing just 33% of the snaps. Now you put all that together and the Patriots did have multiple running backs on the field for quite a few plays. There was actually a note. They ran 25 plays yesterday with no tight end on the field. They ran 24 all of last season, <laughs> which is kind of incredible. Well, I will just say this about Burkhead. He's 5% owned. He had eight carries, 44 yards, five catches, 41 yards, but six of his carries of the eight, six of the eight came in the second half. So mm-hmm. in terms of the work, like Sony Michelle still had so I mean Sony Michelle was awful. Fifteen carries for fourteen yards. But I think the score had something to do with the snap count and the carries for Burkhead. But man, you can't keep screwing up like that if you're Sony Michelle. Uh that's you gotta be on, on high alert there. Okay, um what what else we got here? We got Josh Allen, four drop passes by the Bills, so that didn't help him. 
continued. That was an issue in college for him. It was an issue last season. They did upgrade the wide receiving core, but you know, maybe he, he throws the ball real hard. It could be a little hard to catch. Maybe. And the pick six was a drop. Cam Newton only ap- attempted one pass beyond 20 yards. Weird. And Will already talked about Cam New- uh, Dak Prescott being able to throw deep, but he was five of six on deep passes and just so, so improved there. Uh, running back notes, Le'Veon Bell ran 46 routes. He played every snap. Every Adam Gates is a liar. Yeah, that all coaches look are. Us, coaches Adam lie. Looked us in, those, in the eyes with those weird <laughs> eyes and lied to our faces. Yeah, absolutely. They coaches lie all the time. It's ridiculous. Um, and then your wide receiver notes. Sterling Shepard played a lot out of the slot, 35 slot routes. I don't know. What does that mean to you? Well, it may not mean anything for week two. I don't know if you saw the note, but he may have a concussion. Oh, I didn't see that. Uh, they're they're putting him through the protocol now, so that'll be something to watch. But it's interesting because that was what we assumed Golden Tate's role would be on this team. And he's suspended for the first four games of the season, but it'll be interesting to see because those are going to be, you know, easier plays to make for Eli Manning, especially because he's not the strongest passer in the world. Uh, and you would think you know, maybe a few more efficient routes for Sterling Shepard out of the slot than trying to win out wide. Curtis Samuel only ran 21 routes. I did see that, but he played 74% of the snaps for the Titans, Corey Davis. That's the most of any non-quarterback or offensive lineman. No other wide receiver played more than 49% of the snaps. That was Tajay Snar- uh, Sharp. A.J. Brown played 43%. So, you know, he was on the field a lot, didn't run a ton of routes, they must not have thrown the ball that much, and he didn't yeah. have a catch. And just to be clear, you said Curtis Samuel. That's Corey Davis. Oh. They only threw the ball 24 times. Uh, Corey Davis, sorry. Really bad game for Corey Davis. I uh, I benched Sammy Watkins for Corey Davis. <laughs> Today League, which was uh, the worst possible decision you could have made for week one. So that was really fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, the fact that he was still... Corey Davis was so dominant in terms of routes run compared to the rest of the team does make me think that things will be better moving forward. Uh, But for me, it's more tempering expectations for Brown, who only ran 43% of the snap uh, routes than, you know, a good sign for Corey Davis. Maybe Brown is at least the third wide receiver that you'd want to go get among the rookies, uh, Terry McLaurin and Marquise Brown ahead of him. Uh, uh, Excuse me. Wrong. You forgot about DK Metcalf. Sure, sure. Yes, there you go. Among the guys who had 100 yards, I don't think DK Metcalf had 100. He had 89. He set a record for uh, a Seattle rookie. I don't know if it was... I think it was a rookie record for most in a game, but maybe it couldn't have been a most in a week. Maybe it was a week one thing, but... I think he, it was most in week one. By a rookie? It was, uh, Steve Largent. Steve Largent. He showed up wearing a Steve Largent jersey yeah. after the game, which is a, an incredible flex by DK Metcalf. The way they talk about Metcalf in Seattle, and they talk about everybody that way. Like, that's what Pete Carroll does, but everybody seems to be talking about Metcalf this way, is the way the uh, the Vikings were talking about Stefan Diggs when he had a breakout game as a rookie and nobody really knew about him. So I'm excited. DK Metcalf looked a lot better than I certainly expected him to look. Like, he yeah. had... You know, it wasn't just go routes, which was the kind of knock on him. He had a really nice, uh, like, 15, 20-yard gain on a slant, mm-hmm. um, flexed after every single catch that he made, which <laughs> if I looked like him, I would do the same thing. 
<laughs> He's got the attitude that we know. All right, Chris. Uh, hey, this was fun, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a fun, fun little segment. All right. We're going to play you out with some music. That's Chris Towers. Thanks a lot to Dr. David Chow, to Will Brinson. Hope you enjoyed this Monday special. Have a nice commute home, and we'll get you with the waiver wire on Tuesday. And if you haven't seen Revenge of the Nerds, go see Revenge of the Nerds. It's, it holds up. Later, everybody.